Coming up today on the Locked on Hornets podcast, we got numbers, baby. Lots of them. Get ready. Strap in. Nerd alert. It's going to be a lot of fun to discuss some of the stat trends that have happened with the Hornets so far. Also, Nick Batum has some comments on his contract and this. Crotch shot. A crotch shot. Yep, that's what it was. Right below the belt. Right there in my face. I didn't say I was this good. (laughs) My agent did. I said I didn't say I was anywhere close to being this good. I'm actually quite bad. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. I wanted to start off today by just vomiting numbers all over the place, just going back and forth with some stats that we went and found ourselves, just interesting things that we wanted to go try and find, whether we were correct in our findings, whether the hypothesis that we had looking at the numbers was correct. Uh, Just interesting things that we were both looking up, Doug, because looking at the rundown, as you do put in the Google Drive, I saw that you had some stats that you wanted to talk about via Devontae Graham, the difference between him and Terry Rozier in the starting lineup. That kind of got me thinking about some things that I wanted to dive deeper into a little bit, like with a Dwayne Bacon, just his shot selection. Then that got me to assist. I just want to vomit all over the place. The numbers clean it up. First segment. That's what I want to do. Uh, are you cool with that today, Doug? I'm fine with that. I'll give you one stat. Zero uh, percent of the time when I vomit, do I feel better afterwards. I'm a terrible... Uh, you don't vomit, right? I try my very best. It is very rare. The percentage of times I vomited per 36 minutes is going to be very, very low because I'm, I'm not very good at it. I'm too... Uh, it's it ha- it's it's too violent when I vomit. Now here's a question: Do you when you hear that like fake vomit sound like Bleh, does that make you when mm-hmm. somebody goes Bleh, does that make you also want to vomit? Because some people I think it's different with different people. Some people hear that Bleh, and they want to vomit, and some people hear that and it doesn't bother them. No, it does. The sound has never bothered me, believe it or not. Like even seeing somebody else throw up, it's never made me need to throw up Someone's, at all. I've someone's never listening had to have right that. now going, I am one of those people. Please mm-hmm. stop making that yeah. sound. <laughs> yeah, I am going right. to vomit. I was thinking about that. Yeah, you're asking me. And if I would have been affected by that, it would have been already <laughs> off to a great start. But no, I'm not one of those people. Like if I see somebody throwing up, I usually can be okay in that situation. There you go. That was a weird camera angle. What are we doing there? Oh. What's going oh, on? Sorry. Just for the well, I was making an adjustment. I had to make an adjustment on my microphone. I saw you make an adjustment. Yeah, that was a little bit of a frisky well, position. I'm on a lab. The, the problem is I'm on a laptop and the camera, I don't have the laptop lifted up oh, very high. Man. So then I, I closed the clamshell. Now I want to vomit. To make the adjustment of the microphone gracious. and it ended up being a crotch shot. A crotch shot. Yep, that's what it was. Right below the belt, right my there fault. in my face. Blah, blah. Blah. All right, let's do some numbers. It's the Lockdown Hornets podcast presented by the Lockdown Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. We got numbers for you today, so let's vomit together. Devontae Graham, Doug, you said you had some lineup stats that you wanted to go through with him compared to Terry Rozier when they're in the starting lineup. Bring out the little black notebook and tell us what you got. Well, I'm interested. You know, I've been making this case for Devontae Graham to enter the starting lineup, so I wanted to go ahead and take a look at 
uh, how he paired with Terry Rozier. And, and one interesting number that I have for the Rozier-Graham combination, the most interesting number that I found is not in point differential, although it is significant when Terry Rozier is playing with uh, Dwayne Bacon, Bridges, Washington, Zeller, otherwise known as the starting lineup. It is a, according to Cleaning the Glass, it is a minus 29 uh, points per 100 possessions. And then when he's playing with uh, Devontae Graham, in, in some of the better lineups, it's plus 50. And some of even some of the worst lineups that Rozier and Graham are a part of, it's minus 4.5. So significant gulf between Terry Rozier and Graham together and the starting lineup. But that's not even the most interesting number. The most interesting number to me is the number of possessions that Terry Rozier, Devontae Graham have played together with Miles Bridges, P.J. Washington, and Cody Zeller, otherwise known as the three starters minus Dwayne Bacon. And that number is 86 possessions. The starting lineup has only played together 184 possessions. Again, this is cleaning the glass, so it may have taken some possessions out for garbage time, you know, when they were down 20 in the fourth quarter or something like that. But erase all that, and you're just talking about the possessions that matter. 184 for the starting lineup, 86 for Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham. That's not a significant gulf there. It's not like he's rarely played Devontae Graham with the other four starters minus Dwayne Bacon. So that tells me, Walker, that... I think there is some thought process going on. There is some, maybe some debate going on, and they're, they're te- oh. they've tested the waters at least. 86 possessions is not nothing, and they play significantly better on offense with that lineup than they do with the starting lineup. Yeah, I think that absolutely says they're testing some things. And I don't think that's necessarily surprising to find that, right? Like, I can imagine that they would want to test with the waters a little bit, you know, like see, okay, do you have Devontae Graham in here with that certain lineup and kind of go with that? I, I completely agree with you. One thing I wanted to go to real quickly was you Dwayne Bacon, right? That's been the conversation for a lot of this week because Dwayne Bacon has struggled to start the season about Devontae Graham. Do you put him in the starting lineup right now? We both agree. I think a lot of people would agree that Devontae should go into the starting lineup. And I haven't seen the field goal percentage at the rim for Dwayne Bacon, but we know that it has been bad, right? Just watching the games like we do, we have seen that he has not hit at a high enough clip at the rim, and we know that he takes a ton of shots inside the three-point line. And so looking at him, I wanted to go directly at the basket because he's taken a lot, like right there, bunnies, layups, dunk attempts at least. Like we, we've we seen him take a lot of those shots. And Doug, among rotation players, Dwayne Bacon is dead last. And I'm not surprised. Despite him taking almost as much as anybody, he does take the second most field goal attempts inside five feet. The only person he's behind is Cody Zeller, which makes sense that your seven-footer would be taking the most shots there that gets a lot of minutes per game. Yeah, and Zeller's doing a lot of putback action there at the rim, too. Mm Mm-hmm. 100%. 100%. A lot of trash points for Cody Zeller. So that makes a lot of oh, sense. I wouldn't call him trash by the way. points. I mean, that seems a little derogatory. Well, garbage trash. Please, please get your basketball Those are terminology money. Those are son. money points, baby. That's found. That's found <laughs> cash. Those are cash. That's not trash points. Those are cash points. How dare you? That You know, that's, that's Cody Zeller actually putting some numbers God, in the box score. 74.5% is what Cody Zeller shoots inside five feet from the field. And again, Dwayne Bacon shoots 40% on four and a half shots inside five feet. And the only people that he's above is MKG, who doesn't get any run. Billy Hernan Gomez, who doesn't get any run. 
and Nick Batum, who has been out all but basically one half of basketball. Now, I will say this. Terry Rozier just barely ahead of him at .1 shots less per game inside five feet. He's not very been good at the basket either. And I think you noticed that. I didn't think he would be as close to Dwayne Bacon as he is. 43.2% is what Terry Rozier is shooting inside five feet. But once you see Dwayne at 40%, Terry Rozier at 43.2, boom, it spikes all the way up like it should for a lot of the other basketball players. P.J. Washington among rotation players, P.J. Washington is next at 58.1. So, you have Zach Lowe writing about the hook shot that he deems already one of the best in the league. Now, maybe he's missed it a lot since he wrote that, which is, of course, coincidental. But you look at P.J. Washington, 58.1. Devontae Graham is shooting close to 60% inside five feet. Cody, Miles, Malik is the other guy I want to get to more than any. Not taking a lot. 2.1 shots uh, per game inside five feet. But I think you have seen a little bit of that strength come into play. The problem is, is he can't shoot outside, which is why you drafted him, because you thought he'd be able to help immediately. Still has been able to help on a consistent level behind the three-point line. But Malik Monk, actually fourth among rotation players uh, of, as far as the uh, percentage inside five feet. And I think you have seen some of that muscle come into play and, for Malik, who's also passing a lot with inside five feet. As and well. just for some context for folks out there listening, I mean, you really want your guard shooting over 50% at the rim. I mean, at, at the least. You look at Kimball Walker's numbers right now. He's shooting 3.7 attempts at the rim for the Boston Celtics. He's shooting 57.6%. I, just, I was just curious what Kimba's number was there. And then Marcus yeah. Smart, uh, 1.4 attempts at the rim. He's shooting 53.8%. But just generally, you don't want your guards taking um, you know four shots a game at the rim and, and coming away with only 40%, 43% of them. Well, well, and just any, and, and and not even just guards, but anybody. Well, yeah. I mean, below fifty percent is bad. Yeah, but your guards, but your <laughs> guards mean, are you, generally you, you, going to be uh, less effective at the rim than a Cody Zeller, who is, as you put it, getting trash points, picking them out. Yeah, you know, he's, he's Oscar the Grouch, apparently, just living in garbage, surrounding himself with you know, you know, points matter, Walker, and, and however you get them, and I'm offended that you would call them trash points. We were talking before we came on air about how much, how many assists the Hornets were getting per game, and you wanted to take a guess at that. And so I thought the assists actually might be pretty high compared to all the other teams in the NBA because the usage percentage isn't that great. Like getting into the usage real quickly before we get to assist, you go back to last year, Kimball Walker led the team in usage percentage unsurprisingly, at 31.5%. Then it went to Tony Parker at 25.5%, Malik Monk at 24.5%, and then there's a bunch of guys right there at 22. You look this year at the guys uh, who are leading the team in usage percentage. Uh, among rotation players, it's Terry Rozier at 24.2, Devontae at 23.1, Dwayne at 22.9, Caleb Martin 21.3, Bismack at 20, Cody at 19.5, Malik at 19.5. Like, it's all barely you know, going up the step ladder to go to the next guy where that wasn't necessarily the case last year. So I thought, you know, okay, Terry Rozier averaging five assists per game usage, only 24.2. I thought the assists might be up. So Doug, what do you think the, where do you think the Hornets rank in the NBA as far as assists per game? Well, so this is a below average offensive team. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they turn the ball over so excessively that it, it, it disrupts their ability to get into any kind of offensive flow and just simply takes possessions away that they could be scoring on. But at the same time, I feel like just anecdotally, I haven't looked any of this up, but I just feel like anecdotally, 
when they are effective on offense, they are getting, you know, they're moving the basketball. They're, they're assisting because, frankly, they don't have many players on this team that can just go get a bucket, that can play ISO basketball. Mm-hmm. And the one guy that has been attempting to do that, Dwayne Bacon, has not been doing it effectively. So their assist to made field goals, I feel like, is pretty high. But again, the turnovers probably cutting at that a little bit. So I'm going to say that they are right there in the middle, 15th in assists. Going 15th, you're not far off. They're actually ranked 18th in the league. 23.7 right behind the Timberwolves. Again, 23.7 the amount of assists per game that the Hornets accumulate. And just looking up turnovers per game compared to everybody else in the league, uh, they have 17.2 and they're 27th. So they're pretty bad. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think the ball movement is, has been bad in, in the sense that it right, doesn't I exist. Agree. I just think it's been bad in the sense that it has been ineffective because they're coughing the basketball up. Well, and, and let's take a quick break. I want to get into some more stats um, as well. But before we take another break, Doug, why don't you tell us a little, about, a little bit more about Audible just like you did yesterday? Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment. You can start listening with a 30-day Audible trial. Choose one audiobook and two of their Audible originals absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash locked on NBA. That's audible.com slash locked on NBA. More numbers in the next segment on the Locked on Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. Have you ever had that one little bug that's just like, it's not completely out, but it's like kind of dangling in there. And then you try to sniff it back up to go away for good, but it's just, it'll, it'll keep popping back. That's what I'm going through right now. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Very numbers heavy show today, Walker. And um, I think it's a roller coaster ride for listeners because we're coming off a show where we spent a majority of it, I believe, talking about macaroni and cheese, those voicemails. <laughs> were excellent yesterday. I listened I listened to that last voicemail so many times, just kept on hitting the rewind button on my podcast app just to listen to that. And I I died, man. Like that's as that's as hard as I've laughed, I believe, on the podcast. Maybe ever. I think you're right. And just to clarify, because I didn't really mention this yesterday, those are real voicemails that we are getting into the voicemail line because it's a Google voice number. So I imagine that that number was either someone's real cell phone number at some point or someone's Google voice number at some point. And so we are getting, those are real voicemails that we were getting into the voicemail line uh, that is available, by the way, if you want to actually use it to ask us Hornets or heck, just get on there and ask us about macaroni and cheese. You can uh, by visiting our Patreon page, patreon.com slash LOH and supporting us there. Uh, But yes, those are real voicemails that you heard. And in fact, tomorrow I've got a follow-up call from Rosario. Rosario is going to be back on the show. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you something, Walker. She is pissed. Is she mad? She is. Yes. These these calls that are going unreturned about premiums from D.C. (laughs) or Maryland. They have they have lit a fire under Rosario, a hornet's nest of anger in this in this next one. Oh, my God. I cannot wait for Rosario's voicemail tomorrow. You can call in if you want to just join our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash LOH. If you want to leave us a voicemail, a real one, you can leave a prank one if you want, I guess. I wouldn't be opposed to it. But if you have a real Hornets question, then feel free to do that as well. Doug, we were talking about the assist numbers for the Hornets. And you look at Devontae Graham. He leads the team in assists at seven and a half. 
Terry Rogier at just over five, and then everybody else is kind of sitting at two and one. Like those are the guys that are distributing the basketball more than anyone else. Even Malik Monk has 2.1, but there's just not a lot of touch uh, touches for him. His usage percentage is even down compared to what it was last year, where we weren't exactly thrilled with Malik Monk. I wonder if that goes up. By the way, if Devontae Graham goes to the starting lineup and then Malik Monk is the guy that you might use as your primary ball handler in the second unit, I wonder if the assists would go up, the usage percentage would go up. But anyways, I, I just looking at the assists, right, and all of the turnovers, you know, it would make sense because, like, how many really good passers do you think the Hornets have? Not even really good, just how many good passers do you think the Hornets have on the team? Or if it's easier, how many bad passers do the Hornets have on the team? Because I feel like there's a couple that you just don't feel all that comfortable with the basketball in their hands trying to make some reads. I feel like there's a couple of those guys. Yeah, I wouldn't feel comfortable with Dwayne Bacon making those reads. I would. He's number yeah, one. I would not feel comfortable with Cody Zeller making those reads, to be perfectly honest. I don't really view him as a great passing big. He's a great rolling big. He's turning into a better shooting big. I think decision-making with his own offense is probably okay, but I don't trust him as a, a passing big. Uh, so, yeah, I think there are a couple of, of guys with the ball in their hands. P.J. Washington, actually great passer. Devontae Graham has made some incredible decisions with the ball in his hands. And then Malik Monk is certainly – he's yeah. now – hold on, though. I want to caution on Malik Monk. And <laughs> people are getting on me now about my hate for Malik Monk, and I really don't hate him. I just, I'm just talking honestly about how I feel about uh, his play. Mm-hmm. He, he has made some incredible passes, but he also is one of the more turnover-prone guards on uh, this roster. So it's been a – uh, kind of up and down story with him in that regard. Yeah, I think he's mostly made the right reads. You look at the turnovers per game. Malik is actually averaging 1.8. That's below Dwayne. That's below Miles, Devonte, and Terry. But but, again, the, but the turnover, yeah, right. The turnover. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Turnover percentage. I can give you that number here in a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there you go. But yeah, I, I would agree with you, Doug. And, and even Miles Bridges. Like, what do you think about his passing? Because there have been some nice cross-court passes I think we've seen like I think he's got some of the vision but it's got to be triple threat for miles we've talked about this before it's not coming off of the dribble you know we talk about the playmaking for miles bridges that's something Borrego addressed at the beginning of the season he wanted to see the playmaking ability go up for miles bridges and we just haven't seen that as much to me I think maybe you've seen maybe a couple nice spin moves at the basket but that's really it right like miles He'll go to the basket. He'll do a nice spin move. He can finish with his right hand extremely well. We've mentioned that before, but it's not like Miles Bridges is going to do a whole lot other than that spin move towards the basket. Like that's what he's going to do when he drives. No, I think you're dead on there. Um, I think he he has the ability to make to make passes, but uh, he I think I'm telling you, I just don't know if he understands or if the team understands exactly what his role is in in this offense yet um and and maybe that's maybe it's a cascading effect of having Dwayne Bacon's ISO game not really be there of of having Devontae Graham kind of play all over the place right now maybe once they settle in on what that starting unit is actually going to look like when it's effective and they stop turning over the basketball which Miles Bridges is a part of by the way uh, his turnover percentage is 18.5% which is last among forwards in the NBA qualifying forwards and then Malik Monk, going wow. back to that number, uh, his he leads the team in turnover percentage. So as you said, low overall number, but just you know, yeah. if you look at it per touch, it's at twenty point three percent, which is in the very bottom tier among wings, qualifying wings, and all of those numbers according to cleaning the glass. But to Monk's credit, 
he has been very effective. When he's not turning the basketball over, he has been much more effective on offense this season. Uh, he uh, 20, 20% usage, he's high. You know, when he's on the floor, he is touching the ball a lot. And his points per shot attempt is shot up to 114, uh, which uh, is, is certainly much better than he was uh, in any of his previous seasons. Before we do a Grizzlies preview for tonight's game, I don't know if we've talked about Nick Batum's role as far as how much you want to see from him. I know we talk about him being the connector. Rick Bennell used that word, and it's probably a pretty good one. And it's why I think both of us advocated for him to be in the starting lineup because it just seemed to make more sense rather than having Dwayne Bacon, Miles Bridges, Devontae, or not even Devontae. We weren't even talking about that at the beginning of the season. Besides Terry, Dwayne, Miles, um, you know, just a bunch of guys that you would think want to put up a ton of shots. I, I wanted to have Nick Batum in there to be some type of facilitator. We saw one half of basketball. The sample size was small. It was really, really bad. It seemed like he just was non-existent and they decided to, you know, they, Nick Batum got hurt. They go with the young guys and it's actually been going pretty well. You know, this is one of those things to me, Doug, where I, I just, I don't know how much playing time I want to see from Nick defensively. That might be different. Like I'm sure he's better defensively, but as far as on offense, man, you know, it was so bad in that first half and it's really tough for me to move past that, even though it was obviously such a, a, a microscopic sample size. Uh, have you seen these comments that Nick Batum gave to Alex Kennedy? Uh, I believe he's with Hoops Hype. Okay. I know we're running up against the break, but we really need to, I mean, they, they sort of, I think they're going to add some flavor to this conversation. So I'd love to get to those after the break. All right, we'll, we'll take a quick break and then we'll get right to those along with a Grizzlies preview ahead of tonight's game. So there you go. We'll talk a little bit more about the Hornets tonight at the Spectrum Center, taking on a Grizzlies team that a lot of people do think they should be able to beat, not able to take care of business against the Pelicans team. I think people anticipated a victory. Maybe they can take care of business tonight. We'll talk about it next on the Locked on Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. They're running their rookies to Greensboro. They're driving them to Greensboro and then driving them back the same day to play in an NBA game. I cannot <laughs> wait until the Hornets load manage. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Doug had some spicy Nick Batum comments for us as we were talking about what his role should be when he does return to the lineup. Speaking with Rick Bennell yesterday, he did say that he's not going to play against Memphis tonight, but that he would probably be back at some point maybe this week, pretty soon after he was found shooting in practice without any kind of device on his hand after he did, uh, was it a fractured finger? I, I think he broke his finger, if I'm not mistaken, but I know that there was his hands all free. So we'll see when he comes back. There are some comments by Nick Batum, Doug. Why don't you share those with us now? Yeah, this is from Alex Kennedy, NBA on Twitter. I believe he writes for Hoops Hype. Batum on his overpaid label, quote, I've told other players this. Sometimes when you've signed a big contract, you feel like you're a criminal. Bro, it's like you went into a bank with a gun and you robbed the bank like, give me the money. That's how it feels. <laughs> Alex, Alex Kennedy would go on to tweet, Nick Batum also told me that he understands why fans get frustrated about his contract, but he pointed out that he wasn't even involved in the negotiations. That was between his agent and the GM. He wasn't going to turn the offer down. So there's, yeah, that's amazing to me. <laughs> so I, what I take from that, at least at the last part of that comment is, look, guys, I didn't negotiate my contract. I didn't say I was that good. I didn't say that I was worth $26 million. It was my agent who actually said that. I'm not this good. 
So don't blame me. I understand maybe a little bit like I, I can hear some type of sense at the beginning of that comment where he goes, yeah, I feel like people are angry at me because, you know, I, it's like I robbed a bank and, you know, I, okay, I get some of that. But the last part is what's funny to me. It's like, look, man, I didn't say I was this good. My agent did. He did the best job that he possibly could and got me a boatload of money. And we all know that the Dallas Mavericks would have given Nick Batum quite a bit of money as well. But instead, he decided to stay with the Charlotte Hornets. What do you make of those comments, Doug? Well, they're certainly interesting. I mean, I think Nick Batum would look at his stats the year after he signed the contract and say, look, my stats were similar. I mean, I didn't change as an NBA player. And I think fans would then respond, that's exactly the point. You signed this huge contract, the biggest of your career, close to a max contract with an organization. Isn't there some responsibility for your numbers to, to improve and for the team to improve because of it. Isn't there some sense of responsibility? And it sounds like from these comments that Nick Batum doesn't feel that way. And, to, and honestly, if I were to argue for Nick in this situation, I would say that a lot of the comments that were coming out of the team at the time, including from Steve Clifford, his coach, were that, look, we don't want Nick to change. We don't want Nick to turn in to some like scoring machine that we're going to give the ball to a lot. He does things that make this particular team better, and we want him to continue to do those things. It was just that the team didn't get any better. And, and mm-hmm. part of why it didn't get any better is because they gave all of that money to Nick Batum and, and let some other players uh, go by the wayside. And, and you can, you know, kind of 2020 hindsight, those decisions all you want, but those were the decisions that were made. And I would say, too, that somebody was going to give Nick Batum that money, and unfortunately it was the Hornets. They made the bet. But some other team is going to do the same thing and get the same production, most likely. Grizzlies kind of in the same boat as the Charlotte Hornets as far as where they are right now. They had a couple of veterans that they were just kind of holding on to, not necessarily competing in the playoffs, at least last year. They decided to be sellers. They decided to move on from um, Marcus All. Yeah, grit and grind was fun. Everybody loves grit and grind era basketballs. Well, everyone loves to say grit and grind. It's a fine saying, but to watch the basketball, I think, was was difficult at times. Well, playoffs was fun. I had fun watching the Grizzlies in the postseason. I thought that was a fun time for me, at least watching those guys go at it, but they sold all of them. So you look at Mark Gasol, they traded him to the Toronto Raptors, got Jonas Valanciunas in return. I never really got that trade, um, but they traded him anyway. You look at Mike Conley, they actually didn't trade him at the deadline last year. Instead, they waited until the season ended and Mike Conley just kind of finished that year out. But similar situations, right? Like moving on from veterans and now there's a a rebirth of the franchise, if you will. I love the Grizzlies core. Hard not to like the Grizzlies core. John Morant, the second overall selection, Memphis was gifted him. They also got Brandon Clark, who you know was a draft darling of mine leading up oh, to boy, the NBA you're draft. Fun right now. Yeah, I am. Jaron Jackson, obviously. Kobe a very playing good really player, well, we too. Saw. I'm having fun. I think you and I are, I think we're underrated draft geniuses. I think we are. Well, Kobe, yeah, Kobe had that great game last Rui's night. Seven not, I don't think Rui's playing that bad either. Rui! I forgot about your love for Rui. Oh, man. Are you ready for draft season already? I'm sure you're already looking at mock drafts. So the Grizzlies do have a very, I I think it's a fun core. Um, And you look at some of the stats compared to the Hornets. They are very similar turnover wise. So like I said, the the Hornets rank, they they rank 27th in the league. The Grizzlies, they're ranked 25th because there's a tie in there and they only average uh, 0.2 turnovers less. You look at the three point field goals attempted 
The Hornets actually take a little bit more three-pointers a game. They make three more three-pointers a game. They take five more a game. But the Grizzlies, they take uh, more field goal attempts overall a game, and they also make more field goal attempts overall uh, a game. So very different styles, but kind of similar situations. Doug, what are some? what is something that you're looking forward to to watch tonight? Well, I'm looking forward to watching John Morant play the Charlotte Hornets. I'm in Nashville, so I get all the Grizzlies games locally, and I've had a chance to watch him when he's not, when they're not resting him at home. <laughs> That's pretty, I mean, I know John Morant's been, been injured, but resting a rookie at, you know, load managing a rookie at home, I think that's, that's really interesting. Um, but they can't do it on the road. It's like, I think it's against the rules now to, to load manage on the road. So you'll get a chance to see John Morant tonight. And he attacks, and he attacks quickly. So the Hornets, uh, they got a chance to look at him in the preseason, so they know what they're dealing with. Uh, and I thought, I thought they did a good job in the preseason of trying to contain him. But he's feeling a lot more confident, and he's rested uh, coming into this game. So you know, I expect big things out of Ja, and they're going to have to really pay attention in transition. It's not been a strength for the Hornets all the time to um, to stop transition points. So I think that's going to probably be the key stat uh, in this game, the, the differential between transition points, because the Hornets don't play very fast. Uh, that's been really interesting. The bench, the bench units tend to play fast, but the starting unit uh, has been m- much more inclined to play half-court offense and play a little bit slower, maybe to their detriment because they've been turning it over a lot. Uh, but that'll be that'll be the thing I'm watching tonight. Yeah, just looking at the Grizzlies as well, um, and inside a little bit more, the Grizzlies, they average more rebounds per game. They average four more rebounds per game. They also average uh, about two more blocks per game. That comes with Brandon Clark. That comes with Jaron Jackson. That comes with Fallon Chunas. So they've mm-hmm. got some big guys. That might be something where they have an advantage down low a little bit more than what the Hornets have down there. And I think Jaron Jackson Jr. has had a rough start to the season, but he's coming off one of the better performances that he's had this season. So he's got a lot of confidence. Uh, can he he's had a Dwayne Bacon type of season so can he kind of keep that going and shake off the demons of a bad start I think that'll be interesting from the Grizzlies perspective from the Hornets perspective uh, I expect big things from Devontae Graham because he seems to sort of be uh, one night um, really effective from the three-point line and the next night a little bit inefficient uh, though he's been able to get to the free throw line and do some other things that keep his point totals high and you know he's a double-double machine now apparently so um, I expect Devontae Graham to shoot the lights out, and the Hornets are certainly going to need it if they want to win this one. And I think it's winnable. I think the Hornets should win. It's a home game against another bad team. Um, if the Hornets lose this one, if they drop this one, I think you know you, you start to raise an eyebrow a little bit about how bad uh, this could get if they drop four straight. So an interesting matchup. Can I say one more thing about Nick Batum? Please do. I want you to. Because it's, it's I think it's a really fascinating conversation. I'm glad that Alex Kennedy went out and got those comments because I think the Hornets, have, you know, I think Hornets fans, it's been a bit of a mystery. Like, what happened to Nick Batum and what does he think about this situation with, with how fans have reacted to his contract as we come near the end of his run uh, in Charlotte? Got one more year left on that contract. Um, but what interests me is that Nick Batum... We, we knew in that second year or the year after he signed the deal, right, his numbers didn't really regress very much, but they, they stayed the same. And then the year after that, you saw a major regression. He was down to 11.6 points per game off of a 15 uh, points per game season. And then in 2018-19, it was down to 9.3 and the usage just goes down, down, 
down. Part of that may be Dwight Howard. But I always thought, like, why didn't Nick Batum force the issue a little bit and say, guys, my usage can't. I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm the highest paid player on this team and I, I'm not expecting to completely change my game. But look, look at what's going on right now. And, and I know for a fact that he was frustrated during that Dwight Howard season that the offense was going through Dwight Howard so much and it was taking away from from some other from ball movement and some other things that had made them successful in that playoff season. But the issue was never forced. And I feel like if you're the highest paid player on the team, that's your responsibility. It's not your responsibility to change the way you play the game, but it is your responsibility as the highest paid player on the team to say, hey, um, this isn't the kind of play that allows us to be successful and I'm not a part of that. And that's a problem. And I don't think that he did enough to force that issue. So if there's one thing that I criticize him for, it's it's that. It's not the fact that his numbers didn't go sky high. It's being quiet is yeah. what you yeah, yeah what you don't like. And I I do the argument I would have against it is Kimball Walker, the leader of this team. Not that that means Nick Batum needs to be quieter, but also how much of that falls on Steve Clifford? You know, if it's not working with Dwight. And it did work a little bit more with Nick Batum moving the ball a little bit more. How much of that is on Steve Clifford recognizing it? Well, you remember Clifford missed a lot of time so Silas, in that season right. because of health issues. And it, it, was, it was during that time that, that Nick Batum actually did voice some frustrations. It was during that Silas run. Um, so how much of a wrinkle does that? I mean, what, what does that mean? Well, and how much is circumstance in general? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you're just pointing to that. I mean, so yeah. many things went wrong. Miles Plumley trade, God Steve Clifford's health issues, uh, just various injuries. I, I just think that this that era of Hornets basketball. I've said this before on the show. It's it was it's snake bitten. I mean, it, it just a lot of things went wrong. You can't really point to one particular player or one particular thing. Um, but I think when you're the highest paid player on a team. I don't expect your game to change, but you have to take some responsibility for how the team plays. It's just, it's just reality. I know, I know you did. I know you just signed the contract, but that's, that's reality. You have to understand that that's reality. All right. Thanks for listening. And remember you can subscribe to this show on Apple podcasts, Google podcast and Spotify. And you can also follow us on Twitter at locked on Hornets. I'm on Twitter at Walker mail and Doug is on Twitter at Doug Branson, LOH. We'll be back with you tomorrow for more on the locked on Hornets podcast. Mm-hmm.